This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Scott Bennett, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you, Cheryl. So you're a listener of Stories Behind the Story. I, I do on my morning walk every morning with the dog. I, yeah. uh, I, I listen intently and always interested in your travels to San Francisco and Yeah, that's right. So you've got a new book out. Scott was born in Barnsdale, Victoria and holds an Executive Master of Business Administration from the Australian Graduate School of Management. I'm wondering how that relates to writing books. Uh, it relates <laughs> in a, a lot of ways. Um, I mean, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look. I, I work, uh, you know, I've worked as vice president, general manager of businesses, and uh, you know, you get many stories from uh, what's going on. You learn a lot about mm-hmm. human behaviour. Mm-hmm. You know, when mm-hmm. when people are under stress, uh, mm-hmm. you learn a terrible amount. And plus, um, you do a lot of writing, believe it or not. Some of your presentations that you, you know you may do to uh, a leadership team or executive. You know, you've got to get a story across and you've got to get a story across sometimes in five or ten minutes, mm. you know, to get funding or convince them that, you know, you've, you've got okay. the best yeah, of Yeah, yeah. All right, you've sold me. Over the last 20 <laughs> years, <laughs> over the last 20 years, he has worked for many of Australia's most recognised companies as an executive general manager. In 2003, he visited the Great War battlefields to retrace the steps of his great uncles who had fought there, inspiring his first book. This is your first fiction book. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. My first two books were, were non-fiction about, about the Great War. Okay. His latest novel and his first novel, Night in Passchendaele, is a cautionary tale exploring our incessant search for belonging and the extraordinary lengths we will pursue to realise it. So writing the non-fiction books, has that led you to fiction or is that something you always thought you'd do in parallel? No, no, look, I must say I never considered fiction, but um, in writing non-fiction, you know, there's a certain way you need to re- uh, write there's certain way research, everything must be, you know, based on primary sources, supportable. And and really the most adventurous you can go is probably use the word undoubtedly, this happened or that happened. And, you know, I suppose over the journey, you know, I've read hundreds and hundreds of diaries and um, dossiers and repatriation files. And you think, gee, I'd really like to be, I can see that something beyond what I'm reading is happening here. How do I actually in some sort of compilation, you know, build it out? So that became the natural uh, stepping stone towards fiction. And, and look, you know, I wanted to extend myself as well. You know, it would have been easy to, not easy, but, you know, I could have done another nonfiction, but, you know, I wanted to scare myself and do something different. Okay, so you're in the world of business. What led you to write your first book? Uh, well, it was interesting. 
in my family, there's a military background, you know, even back to the Great War, I had a 14-year-old great uncle who ran away from home and, and joined up. Um, oh, gosh, at 14. At 14, yeah, ran, ran away from home. And, you know, that, that that was a story that always sat in the family. Mm. And it just happened that with my wife, I visited her parents in, in Europe and, you know, always sort of, gee, I'd love to, to visit the battlefields. And I actually visited a place on the Somme called, called Pozier. Mm. And I just remember, you know, how it struck me you know, 23,000 Australians killed or wounded for a small village and you stand there and you think, you know, why mm. did it happen? How did it happen? You know, I've always wanted to write and I thought, gee, I, I want to answer that question for myself. So I thought I'd I'd start writing and, uh, you know, six years later you answer the question for yourself but you also want to answer it for readers. So I just basically um, started no, no publishing deal or anything like that. I just wanted to prove to myself I could write a book and really answer that question, really understand what happened there. Were they, you know, Anzac heroes or were they just normal people that, you know, were caught up in something, uh, you know, so huge uh, that, you know, for me, you know, it was, it was something I loved doing. And, uh, you know, at the same time, I was able to explore my own family history. And there's a, a pretty deep story behind, you know, my 14 year old um, uncle who ran away. So that was, that, that mm. was really parallel um, with the book, you know, he features in the book. And in many ways, you, you're blowing away some of the myths, but I had to do that with the family as well. I had to blow away the myths uh, of him. You know, we, we I found out through the book uh, that, you know, he was, he was put in jail as a 16-year-old, as a 10 years, you know, penal servitude for threatening to shoot an officer. So, you know, you're sort of confronting um, or trying to blow away myths at a larger level, at that Anzac level, get beyond mm. the surface, but, you know, doing that at the same time with your own family. So that's pretty much, you know, how I started. So I can see, and this is audio only, so I'll describe it to our listeners, I can see the bookshelf behind you and there are many, many books there, both fiction and nonfiction, because I can kind of tell by the spines. So I gather you've been an avid reader for some time. Tell me how about that. Look, I love love reading. It's funny. I've I must have been. I got plenty of books there, but ne- never really started off reading books. Uh, in fact, I think as a kid, you know, I did a paper round, and uh, you know, I, I remember just rushing each morning to get the paper round done so I could read the paper. You know, that was you know not just the sports pages. You know, the whole the whole paper. <laughs> so you know, and always always found you know reading was, uh, you know, I'm a sort of anxious person and I always felt the reading, you know, you could immerse yourself and, and you know, you hit that flow state. And, you know, for, for anyone that reads, it takes you to a place that a, a movie can't take you. You know, you, you you always go and see the movie or the book and it's it's never quite the same. So for me, it's always been a space that I've loved and, you know, over, over years built up, you know, book collection, most of I sort of start, never quite finish. But, you know, when you find that magic book, you know, it might be once or twice every year, you know, you're really transported into a story. And, you know, I, I suppose that's what I've tried to do with writing is how can I make someone feel the way mm. that I felt or what, the way I do feel when I read? How do I transport them into 1919 or 1916 and, and on a battlefield? And how do you keep them? How do you keep them? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm, mm. Look, you know, I found writing, you know, probably, you know, a third of what you're doing writing is basically after you've written is is to try and, well, how do I grip the reader? How am I going to take the reader from, you know, here to there? You know, how am I going to keep their interest? That's where all the work is, you know, getting Mm. down the actual story, uh, you know, that takes time. But, you know, that rewriting, 
uh, that's the bit you know, with the reader on your shoulder. You know, the reader's mm. always on the shoulder. And, you know, I always think, gee, if if if, if I can't bring tears to my own eyes in, in writing something, uh, you know, a, a very special piece, how am I going to do it with the reader? The reader. Yeah. Okay, I want to go back to writing your first book. Firstly, it's very different than writing a presentation, I'd imagine. And, you know, we're looking at, what, 80,000, 90,000 words. I don't know how. What was it called? Uh, Posier, the Anzac story. Right, okay. So you finished that book. What was your path to publication? Uh, well, look, you know, you, you sit down, you start writing, uh, you tell, you know, people ask, what are you doing? You say, I'm writing a book. They, you know, they look at you funny. <laughs> um, but look, I had no track record. So in natural fact, I had to write the whole book. It had, had to be a good book. Mm. And I passed around to a, you know, a few friends, refined it, um, got, got a manuscript review. And uh, I must admit, I just sent it out. Um, and, How did you know who to send it to? Well, you, you know, hey, you trawl around on the internet, you trawl the back pages of books, uh, mm-hmm. the name gets mentioned here. Well, there and and I, I sent it out to um, Lynn Tranter and and, and I, I had no connection with Lynn, but I heard. In fact, the, the person that did my manuscript review, I think it may have been her agent, and and that was the only connection. Never spoke about it, and you sort of sent it off, and you don't hear anything. And then I still remember getting an email saying, "Oh yeah, I've read your first twenty pages. You know, can you can you send the rest of the manuscript?" And mm-hmm. that, look, that's you know that's always. A, it's a special moment. I always remember. I know exactly where I was sitting. I know exactly who is around me. Um, about an hour later, it turns to trepidation. We think, "Oh, gee." Mm. You know. <laughs> but um, no, no, I set it off. Um, you know, signed up with Lynn, who's been fantastic. It just happened. You know, again, researching on the internet. I remember a certain publisher. You know, Scribe, and uh, I know she rang me a week later and said, "You know, Scribe's Scribe's going to pick it up." Yeah, wow. The only thing you need to do is go in there and uh, meet them. And it was like, yeah, I hope I don't mess this up. But no, that all went well. So it was very. They're quick. great. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, gee, this is good. Um, what's my next? <laughs> this one? is easy. Yeah, yeah. But then, then I think it was about a year to edit it. You know, it was very. You know, editing's a fantastic process, but um, isn't it? It's very intense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a vulnerable process where you're sharing something. So, you know, that was that. You know, and that was, um, you know, any edit process. You know, with, with the with the current team at Macmillan, it's just it's it's a fantastic process where someone or, or a number of people are so invested in your book and helping you. I always compare it to, you know, you go to school and you sit there and you do an exam and you know you're not allowed to cheat or no one's allowed to help you. But here it is a book. Uh, where people everyone wants you to succeed. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's you know that last ten percent. You know, a journey of you know, a hundred miles. You know, ninety miles is halfway, and it's that last ten percent that's um, mm. you know with an edit team is is absolutely fantastic. But that's that's pretty much how I started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so you, you had the first one published and then you did a second nonfiction book? Yeah, yeah, I did a second one. And, and look, it was interesting as I was writing the book back in 2008, 2009, they started digitizing uh, records. So soldiers' dossiers, mm-hmm. um, repatriation files, diaries. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, while I was writing, I was getting you know ready access to this. And I must have read um, hundreds of dossiers. But what, what came out with was really reading a mother's letter. Um, mm. with the dossier, a, a mother whose son was missing. Mm. And, she, you know, she might be writing that letter not during the war but 10 years after the war, you know, in 1926, just asking the question, you know, is there any news? Have you heard anything? Mm. And, and that really struck me. What sat behind these battles was these ripples that went for, you know, decades of um, families not knowing. So I, I wrote a book called The Nameless Names, which was basically about the missing soldiers and searching the family's search for missing soldiers, the Red Cross uh, search for missing soldiers. Uh, you know, of the Australians killed uh, in the First World War, 60,000, 20,000, uh, their bodies were either never recovered or they never had a known grave. So, okay. you know, the stories coming out of that, you know, uh, you know, just uh, re- really heartfelt stories that mm. you know, I just felt compelled to, to, to write about. Mm. So that was my second book. And when you're writing, do you, are you working at the same time or is writing your full-time? I am, time? I am. Yeah, I'm, oh, I'm right. working at the same time. But, look, I must admit, I, I find it compliments. You know, I must admit if, um, you know, in, in the roles I've had, you know, it's very easy, you know, all weekend to ruminate about problems you've got at work or challenges or whatnot. But I, I found writing was a way to actually switch, you know, turn that switch off mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, get into writing, you know, write over the weekend, turn that switch off. And then go back to work. And yeah, you know, I mean, the other thing for me is, you know, when you look at, you know, in a, in a corporate life, you know, there's a lot of uncontrollables, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of problems that don't have solutions that you're working your way through. You know, I've always compared it. You know, I don't know whether you've been to the circus and you see the the monkey that's on top of the elephant going around. You know, that mm. the, the monkey uh, thinks it's in control, but it's really the elephant that is. Um, whereas in writing, you control everything, every word complete control around a sentence, um, a paragraph, you can reread that 50 times, 60 times to get it right. You know, in a corporate life, you know, you might be doing a report and you know what, you've got to get it out. You know, there's a deadline. You can only throw a certain amount of hours. There's other there's other things pulling on your time. So you never get that luxury of saying, gee, I want to get this exactly right. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, sort of making compromises. So I actually found, you know, it swallowed a lot of hours, but, you know, I found it sort of separated um, the two lives and probably help. Now, you know, the thing that's probably suffered is my garden and whatnot. If you looked at my garden, you know, there's weeds and unmowing. In fact, I'm looking at now and it's... Um... You can outsource that one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then you decide to go, I want to know the moment where you decide, okay, now I'm going to tackle um, fiction. Well, I, I, I remember the moment, I remember what sort of spurred me into the book was um, I was reading an inquiry written in 1920 into the Australian Grave Services, and I, I read a sentence in one of the cross examinations where a, a soldier, you know, was basically pushing back and is getting examined about all these things that went wrong, misdemeanors and whatnot. And he, he pushed back and basically said, 
gee, I never realised that immorality was a, a uh, military crime. And, and it sort of stopped me in the tracks. It was this soldier basically saying, well, look, I've just fought in wars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm doing this ghastly work and you're picking me up about, you know, drunkenness and whatnot. So it's probably that moment I thought, hey, here's a book. There's there's a book in this, but maybe fict- maybe nonfiction can't, you know, I can't use that as the platform. So it wasn't just a split moment. It's probably just dawned on me. And in some ways with nonfiction, you're constrained, mm. uh, whereas you know, you, you can't take the same liberty, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, I, mean, I remember, um, you know, there's a photographer in World War One, uh, Frank Hurley, and I remember reading about him and, you know, he was taking photographs of what was happening and he, he got to the point where he basically said, oh, I can't actually tell the truth of what's happening in war by a simple photograph. And, you know, he, he developed compilations, these compilation photographs, you know, vast vistas. And, you know, if you see any pictures, you probably see his, but... You know, it was, it was a similar thing of saying, gee, you know, in nonfiction, I can only tell so much of the story, but, you know, fiction gives more more liberty, more, you can know, be a little bit more adventurous. So that's that's pretty much, you know, why I chose, you know, fiction as the vehicle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've made that decision. You're going to go to fiction. Talk to me about the writing process and how different that was to nonfiction uh, or, or not yeah, for you. Yeah. Well, Probably the biggest thing I grappled with with Night and Passchendaele is, is again just working out the voice and is it present tense, past tense, omnipresent. So that was probably the, the biggest thing because everything flows from that. So I must admit, I, I you know I had to educate myself. I, I decided I wanted to do it in present tense just because it was more immersive. But you know, in doing present tense, there's also problems, technical problems you need to work through or solutions need to come up. So there's a big part of educating yourself and reading other books that were present tense, uh, you know, single point of view. So that was probably a big one. And and look, the other thing I noticed that was a massive change for me, you know, the desk I'm sitting at the moment is where I, I wrote my nonfiction books. But I actually found... I didn't actually work at this desk. I actually worked on the couch and there was something more free or um, a different mindset rather than being at a desk with a computer and all your files and whatnot. And, I mean, the other big difference is, you know, I say that a book. Uh, I just want to stop there. I just let me interrupt for a second. So you're saying even your physical environment, like your physical work environment had to change for you exactly. to flow. Yeah, yeah, your- yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to think creatively. Well, yeah, and 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 the process of writing really interested me. But the other big change was, you know, typically for me, a book is a third research, a third writing, and a third rewriting. Now, for this book, I didn't really have to research. I'd done that, so I actually replaced it with walking or running. Um, and the whole idea was just to dislodge thoughts, to get into my subconscious, because that's what you're mining. You're, you're virtually trying to find a a word or, you know, ink blot your way out from a certain scene. And, you know, really the only way to, to do that is to, you know, your, your mind is that tool that you're trying to free things up from your, you know, your, your conscious or your subconscious. So that would, that was a, that was a big change. So, you know, before, before I'd normally I'd come straight to this desk, you know, mm-hmm. early in the morning, bang into it uh, with my writing, not fiction became go for a walk, go for a run, um, detox from, corporate life and and loosen up 
you know, you're thinking. And then back on the couch, you'd lay on the couch and I'd, you know, be typing on my lap, which, you know, ain't got great posture, but that that was sort of the environment, not by design, but, you know. So you ended I, up with a fiction novel and a bad back. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't know how true that is, uh, Cheryl. I, <laughs> there's actually a story behind that, but I won't bore you with it this time. <laughs> Okay. That was, um, that was the, the big change, um, you know, just listening to podcasts. And I think I said to you, Earl, I've, I've listened to your podcast quite often. to be out walking. There maybe yeah. someone that comes on, talks about a mood board or talks about mm. this, talks about that, and bang, you know, there's an idea that comes in. You link. You it. learn so much from listening to other author oh, yeah. stories, don't you? Oh, absolutely. So much, absolutely. yeah, yeah. I mean, I learn so much. And, do you know, I think I've recorded nearly over 500 now and every time I hear something different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, it's uh, a great mm. way to learn. Mm. Um, and look, as I walk, you know, I'd, I'd have a phone and I'd just type in a note. It might be a word here or it might be mm. go back to, you know, when I heard mood board. Yeah, mood board. Yeah, that's, you mm. know, that makes sense. And, you know, it's it just builds up your your mm. your skills and knowledge, you know, a lot of it, you know, in your subconscious. But um yeah, great mm. way. So you didn't do any kind of formal training in terms of writing fiction? Uh, no, no, it's just experiential learning. So trial yeah. and um, yeah. and, and look, I've been very, very lucky. One, one of the things I learned pretty quickly is um, solicit what I'd call impolite feedback. Uh, you know, people that, you know, the natural tendency is, yes, yeah, got reads well, I like it, but, you know, you find people you really trust, you know, that they'll mm. be at times brutal for the right reasons mm. you know that that was I learned a tremendous amount I, I remember you know my first book was given to a professor of military history and uh, gee you know it was when I got it back the manuscript it was like someone had bled all over it red ink everywhere and I, I must admit I was I shake I must admit I was shaken by it um yeah. through it and I've never learned so much about writing by the comments, you know, and the, and the generosity uh, of someone who's gone to that trouble, you know. And for me, that you know, just to even Cheryl, mm. and what an active sentence is, you know. Mm. That's that's probably the biggest one of the biggest learnings I've had is, you know, what is an active sentence versus a passive sentence. I had no idea until, you know, I saw it scru- scribbled on the side of my uh, manuscript. You know, Scott, this is a passive mm. sentence. And I remember still, he said, Scott. He wrote a sentence. That is an active sentence. And of course, mm. you know, away, you jump on the internet, you practice and practice mm. and practice. And, you know, you soon realize, you know, if you ever use the word was or by, you know, you've got a problem with your sentence. Um, mm. So, you know, just going through a manuscript and just trying to get that out. So you know, learning on the go. Yeah, exactly. Which, you yeah. know, that's enjoyable. You know, that's, it's, that's, that's fun. Though. So when you handed in your fiction novel, was uh, your agent expecting it or was it a surprise? No, or? no. Um, Lynn, um, Lynn gave it to, um, uh, without telling me, which which is fine, um, gave it to Pan McMillan. So I still remember, you know, you, you, you remember these things. Uh, I still remember being in a boring finance meeting, looking out the window and seeing a Sydney number on my phone. I'm thinking, oh, uh. oh is, is this it? And you pick it up and... Lynn's there and, geez, is this going to be good news or bad news? And, you know, you hear the word, hey, I've got some good news. And, you know, you, it's, you, you're absolutely yeah. thrilled. You know, you, you, you're thrilled yeah. because you have put your heart and soul into something. Yeah. You know, people, you know, you get feedback, but, you know, that's that's the real measure if um, people say, you know what, this is, this is worth publishing. So. It's something. Yeah, yeah, good for you. The book is called Night in Passchendaele. Scott Bennett, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Cheryl. 
If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.